Happy Easter Forest Park, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the biggest day of the year, bigger than Christmas, um, because Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Our death has been defeated. Uh, sin has been atoned for, and we no longer have to fear death because of our hope in the resurrection. And the resurrection changes everything. It means endless hope. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so in our text, what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul give us a quick summary of the gospel where he highlights the good news of Christ's resurrection, where he shows us the power of Christ. Christ's resurrection and shows us the result of Christ's resurrection and what that means for us today. And so in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to get to the heart of the scripture, the story of redemption, where Jesus died and rose again for us as sinners, redeeming us from sin and reconciling us to God. And so the truth in this passage demands not only our attention, but also our affection. And so here's my hope for us today. My hope for us is that we'll be strengthened in the faith as we think about the substitutionary death of the cross, of Jesus on the cross for us, as we contemplate the resurrection and the return of Christ. Now, before I get into the text, let, let's pray and ask the Spirit to lead us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. I thank you uh, for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you that we can gather um, digitally, uh, that we can proclaim your word, that no matter what happens in society, that we can still celebrate that you are alive, the tomb is empty, and our hope is unshakable. Our hope is in the resurrection and that you are coming back to make all things new, and we will be raised from the dead with our glorified bodies. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you reveal truth to us. May you lead us. May you guide our time together. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles." Now, obviously, when Paul was in Corinth, he preached the gospel. He didn't just dream up a story. He heard it, he believed it, and then he received it. And in turn, he turned around and spoke, proclaimed the gospel to anybody who would be willing to listen so that he can point people to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, what Paul is doing for us in this text, he reminds his audience of the core gospel message. Now, before we get in really into the text and break it down verse for verse, I do think we need to kind of um, set up camp and talk a little bit about this. The, the question that we want to ask ourselves is, what is the gospel? 
Now at Forest Park, what we've been trying to do over the last couple of years is really have to have, have you have a gospel understanding. We want you to have good theology that impacts your biblical community, and then it impacts how you live in the community and a missional lifestyle. And so we want you to have a full understanding of the gospel. Now, one of my fears is as we're talking constantly about the gospel is that the gospel will kind of be like a keyword and that any and everything is the gospel. And here's the reality. Not every Everything is the gospel. Everything might be related to the gospel and somehow point us to the gospel, but not everything is the gospel. And so the question is, and Paul reveals this in our text, what is the gospel? Now, the gospel, the word just simply means good news, but from a biblical perspective, what it means is it means something of ultimate importance. And and this is why he says in verse 2, The message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, verse 3 says this, for I passed unto you as most important what I also received. So in other words, what he is saying, the message I have received, I am passing on to you, it is of the utmost importance. So in other words, so far we've learned that the gospel is good news, but it's not just simply good news, it is the utmost important good news. And so look at the rest of verse three. It says this, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Now, what Paul does is Paul summarizes the gospel in terms of uh, of headings. So if you're taking notes, uh, I think these headings are very important when it comes to terms of the gospel. So first of all, he breaks the gospel in terms of Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection, and then Christ's post-resurrection appearances. Now, obviously, this is the cliff note version of the gospel because there's so much more going on when you talk about Christ's death, when you talk about his burial, his resurrection, his post-resurrection, which can kind of be tied into his ascension and to his return. But here's the thing that I think would be very helpful for you to have good gospel understanding. For you to have good gospel understanding, in other words, to enable to to explain the gospel to somebody, I think it's important that you understand these headings and almost use them as outline headings rather than using the Romans road, which nothing is wrong, there's nothing bad with it, but rather using the headings that Paul gives us in explaining the gospel and then ask questions in relation to these headings, okay? So for example, when you talk about Christ's death, you ask questions or, or pretend you're explaining it to a friend, okay, well, why did Jesus die? What was the purpose of Jesus's death? What did it actually accomplish? And what does Jesus's death mean to us? Now, I don't have time uh, this morning to go through all four um, titles and unpack it and ask all of these questions, but what I want to do is just kind of give you an example of how you in your own time can kind of expound on the gospel and help you to have clear gospel understandings in light of the four headings that Paul has given us. So, So let's look, for example, at Christ's death, okay? So the first question is, okay, why did Christ die? Well, go back to scripture. We know that God, the creator of all things, created us to be in relationship with him. And yet 
We have rebelled against God. We have sinned against God, meaning we have turned away from him, rebelled against him, claiming to God that we don't trust him. He is not good. He is not God. We are God or something else is God. And because God is holy, because he's completely good and he is completely separate from evil, our sin separates us from God. And God's righteous verdict against sin is judgment and death. And so under Christ's death, we see now what the problem is. And yet the good news doesn't stop here. Because right now it's just bad news. It's horrendous news. But yet God sent his son into the world to save us. Obviously from what? from sin because we have sinned against God, which leads me to the second question when it comes to Christ's death. Okay, we know why he had to die because of our sin against God, because God is righteous, God is holy, and his wrath is geared towards us because we've rebelled against him and it deserves death. But what did Christ's death accomplish for us on the Christ, on the cross? It was for us that Jesus bled and died. He hung on the cross to atone for our sins, for every lust of our eyes, for every curse of our tongue, for every lie we have spoken, for every greed in our heart, for every envy or jealousy or anger that we've harbored within ourselves, within our heart. That is what Christ died. And not only did he hang on the cross and his blood covered our sins, where he atoned for our sins with his blood. But he also satisfied the wrath of God that was geared towards us. And so this is what he accomplished. His substitutionary death on the cross, atoning for our sins, and also the being the perpetuation, satisfying the wrath that was geared towards us. Jesus Christ faced the entire wrath of God because of our sins. And the resurrection gives evidence that his sacrifice and that God's wrath was satisfied. Which leads me to the third question when we talk about Christ's death. Well, what does Christ's death mean to us? Well, the fact that Jesus died for our sins reminds us for our need for him to atone for our sins. Reminds us that he has redeemed us. Reminds us that we deserve death, but because he died in our place, substitution, substituted himself, we receive God's grace and we've been given eternal life. And that eternal life is by repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. And so Paul gives us the good news of Christ's resurrection. He breaks down the gospel and, and, and four simple categories, outlines that we can use to, to kind of build on top of it by just simply asking questions on Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection, Christ's post-resurrection appearance. But notice again, verse three to four, everything says that there, there's a phrase that's constantly repeated. It says this, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. There's that word. For our sins according to the scripture that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the scripture. So, so what does Paul mean when he uses this phrase according to the scripture? 
Well, the phrase accordance with scripture teaches us that Christ's work fulfills God's saving purposes, implying that all scripture points us ultimately to the grace of God in Christ. And Jesus's burial confirms that he really died and the appearance to eyewitnesses confirms that he truly rose. This means that we're not building our lives or our hope on some myth or some legend when we look for for grace or for the pardon of sin, but we actually look to an event that happened that scripture even predicted and was fulfilled by scripture. And so knowing the good news of Christ's resurrection, look at how the Corinthians responds. Look at verse one to two, where he says, look, this is how you've responded to the gospel that was of utmost importance that I've preached to you. Verse one says this, now I wanna make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, on which you have taken your stand, number two, and by which you're being saved if you hold to the message I preach to you. So so look at the response of the Corinthians. He says, the gospel I've preached to you in which you have received. Think about it. That happened in the past on which you've taken your stand. That's happening in the present. And by which you're being saved, that's happening in the present and the future. So in other words, what we can learn is that our faith response starts in the past, moves to the present, and looks ahead to the future. A couple months ago, last year, when we walked uh, through the book of Romans, we talked about we have to understand our salvation in terms of past, present, and future. Where we asked you the question, are you saved? And you're like, yes, but scripture says yes and no. You are saved, but you're also being saved. And so the gospel is not something that simply happened in the past, but it's something that we're holding onto in the present and putting our hope into in the future. And this is almost the very same concept of what Paul is explaining to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, where he talks about you've received it in the past. Think about um, our salvation in the past. We've received the gospel when we first heard the good news of Christ and believed. We heard who Christ was and and that through him alone, we can be reconciled to God. What happened? The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. The Holy Spirit opened up our eyes. We repented. We believed that now we've become a new creation. We are now children of God. That is something that has happened in our past in which we have believed. And for many of us, we just stop there with the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. It only begins there. Then it moves from the past to the present. Because right now, even though we have believed the gospel in the past, right now we're standing on the gospel. The gospel is not just good news that our sins were forgiven. The gospel is good news that right now our sins are forgiven forever and our relationship has been restored with God. We are God's people, children of God, adopted into his family, heirs to the kingdom of God. That is what we're holding on to. That is what we're standing on to. And then our salvation moves from past, present to future that one day we will be saved by the gospel. 
We're being, we're being saved not by what we do, but by faith in what Christ has done. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection assures us that our sins are forgiven, that God is with us today, and that someday we'll be with him for eternity. And this is what we have to understand. The gospel is not just something that we embrace in the beginning of the Christian life. But it's the source, it is the strength of the Christian life. Well, one of the, the ideas, and I don't think it's really much in our church, but, but if it is, I just want to eradicate, annihilate it. We're thinking we have to move beyond the gospel, that the gospel is simply for unbelievers that they have to accept or believe. No, no, no. We must never forsake the gospel, but rather we must grow deeper, stand firmer in the truth of the gospel on which we have taken our stand, on which we're looking forward to be saved one day. So what does Paul do for us in our text? Well, he summarizes the good news of Christ's resurrection, of Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection, his post-resurrection appearances in this gospel in which we have believed, in which we stand, in which we're holding into, longing for our salvation to be complete. And now what Paul is going to do is he's going to show us the power of Christ's resurrection. So let's look at verse eight here. He, He says, last of all, As to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. In those couple verses, just just look over these verses and just highlight how many times does Paul refer to, to God's grace. You see, and here's what we have to understand. Christ's resurrection is not just a story that happened in the past but it is an event that took place that daily impact our lives and even the lives of people in the future. We don't just simply agree with the reality of Christ's resurrection. It's meant to transform us. It changes everything. It changes us completely. So on the list that people that, that Christ appeared uh, to uh, after his, his resurrection, Paul mentions himself last. Well, why? Because Paul did not walk with Jesus before his resurrection. Remember who Paul was. He was Saul of Tarsus. And what did he do? He persecuted the church. And he even oversaw the execution of one Christian that we know of. And one day while Paul was headed to to persecute the Christians, Jesus came to Paul and a blazing light from heaven shone and the voice of Jesus spoke to him. And he was blinded physically, but all of a sudden spiritually his eyes were open. And even though he could not see the way forward, he could finally see the redemption that he longed for. And now he is a witness to the resurrection power of God when he saw the heavenly light, when he heard the risen Savior and recognized his powerful experience was by the grace of God. 
And God's grace completely transformed Paul in his life. And here's the power of the resurrected Christ. It changed him from the inside out. As a Pharisee, Paul tried to earn the approval of God. He was a very self-disciplined man who obeyed all the rules and he absolutely excelled in all of it. But finally, he received God's grace. He went from being a person who hated Christ, who hated the church, to becoming a champion for Christ and loved the church. And without God's grace, he would not have been a saved disciple, much less an apostle of Jesus. And because Paul was the last one to see the risen Lord, he describes himself as the least of the apostles. He felt that he had persecuted the church of God, that he was the most undeserving of receiving the title apostle. However, he recognized that his past sins was covered by the grace of God. And in gratitude, he worked harder than all the other apostles. He traveled the most, he suffered the most, he planted the most churches. And he did not do all of these things to receive the grace of God. He did all of these things because he already received the grace of God. That's why in these three verses, he says all of this was by the grace of God. All of this that he has accomplished, all of this, why he was working harder, why he was doing more was by the grace of God. And so Paul shows us the power of Christ's resurrection from his own life. And so here's the question for you to to maybe reflect and examine. Have you experienced the power of Christ's resurrection in your life? Maybe for some of you, you might be like Paul. You might be trying to earn God's approval by obeying all the rules. Or maybe for some of you, you find yourself failing and not being able to obey the rules. So now you're just in rebellion, breaking any and every single rule. And I want to warn you that both of those paths end at the same destination. They end with destruction. And so here's the good news. Here's the power of Christ's resurrection is that our good works cannot earn God's approval and our bad works cannot keep, God, cannot keep us from God's saving grace. And so the power of Christ's resurrection, if you're taking notes, is this. It has the power to save and transform the worst of sinners for eternity. And Paul says, look at my own life. Look at the power of Christ's resurrection in my own life. I am the least of an apostle. Remember, I was the one who persecuted the church. I was the one who hated Christ. And yet by his grace, he opened up my eyes and he changed me too for eternity. And so no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, For those who received God's grace and believe in Christ and his death and in his resurrection, your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And if you want proof, how do you know it? Well, the empty tomb. And if you want proof to Jesus' resurrected body, he was witnessed physically by so many and spiritually by so many more. And so as Paul shows us the good news and the power of Christ's resurrection, he shows us also the result of Christ's resurrection. Let's look, let's skip over to to verse 20. It says this. 
But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And so the resurrection of Christ stands as the first fruits of the resurrection for all Christians. In other words, what does that mean? Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so all we again will be raised from the dead. Just as Christ was given a new body, we will, we will also receive a new body that will never decay, never die, never sin, never get sick. And all of this happens not by anything that we've done, but by everything that the one man has done, the one man that is the second Adam, the last Adam, and his name is Jesus. And so what scripture teaches us, it runs this parallel between Adam and Christ, that just as sin entered into the world through Adam and that all humanity will die, so every person after Adam is sinful from birth. And as we've already considered the penalty of sin is death, this was the curse given to humanity for our sins. And if that was the end of the story, we would have no hope. However, just as one man brought death to all, another man brings life. And so if you're taking notes, here's the result of Christ's resurrection. The result is forgiveness of sin. The result is life, eternal life. The result is resurrection from the dead. But for who? Look at verse 22. It says, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. It is for all those who are in Christ. All those who look to Christ, put their faith in in Christ, turn from their sins, declaring, I need you, Lord Jesus. So apart from the resurrection, we will still be in our sins. We will still be unforgiven. But because of the resurrection, we have assurance. We have peace with God because we've been set free from the bondages of sin by something way stronger than us. His name is Jesus. And he is alive and the tomb is empty. And this is what Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to understand the link between Jesus' resurrection and our hope. Because Jesus lived, we know we too will live. Because Jesus defeated death, we know that death does not have the final say over us. If death is the end, then there's nothing else for us to do. We might as well say, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. But instead, we are a people of hope, and our hope is in the promise of the resurrection because our resurrection has been guaranteed by the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so here's my hope for us as, as, as we end this. Let us be filled with gospel-fueled hope. Let us not lose the vision of the importance of the resurrection of Christ and what it means to us. For we are a people who stand in the power of the resurrection. We live in light of the resurrection. We look forward to our own resurrection. We have 
and unshakable hope. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you that you have not left us in our sins. That you sent your son while we were waging war against you to die on the cross for our sins. To atone for it in full. To satisfy your wrath that was geared towards us. And thank you that all of this is by your grace. And so Lord, I, you know Uh, where we are, you know what we're going through. God, I pray that you'd meet us where we are. And that for some of us this morning, would turn from our sins and turn towards you to gaze upon the beauty of Christ and surrender our life to him. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the unshakable hope that we have. Our hope is in you. Our hope is is in the resurrection that you are coming back to make all things new. And the body that is decaying right now, the body that is fighting disease, that is fighting sin, that is fighting death and sickness, will be raised, will be made brand new, will be glorified as we will live in your presence for all eternity, worshiping you, taking dominion of what you have created, We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to to sit at the Lord's table and celebrate communion, I know that we're not gathering together, but we are gathering together digitally. And so I'll ask you right now to to get the elements ready. Um, But I'm also asking you to take this serious. Like if you have a pizza crust and a Coke um, prepared, um, please just abstain from it. Um, If you have bread or a small cracker, wafer, um, or juice, uh, grape juice, or um, that, those would be appropriate elements uh, for that. Um, So let's pray. And let's use time of reflection before we participate in communion together. Oh God, I, I pray that you would just move right now. Lord, help us to think about the cross. Help us to think about the tomb being empty, that you have conquered death, defeated sin, and that we are in you. As we gather, may your spirit move. Search our hearts. So why don't you use this time right now just to, to maybe confess some sins or, or maybe make, make, get your heart ready, ask the Lord to, to reveal truth to you or if there's any area in your life that you need to confess, why don't you use that time right now? Use that time to meditate on the cross, to meditate that the tomb is empty, the life you have in Jesus. As we get the elements ready. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he gave thanks to it, he broke it and said, this is my body that will be broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And they took it and they ate it.
And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, my blood that will be shed for you, the new covenant that you will have in me. Drink it in remembrance of me. And they took it and they drank it. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us. Thank you that we can sit at your table as sons and daughters of the King. Thank you that you've invited us into your presence and that you've declared us righteous. Be with us. Help us to marvel at you and help us to share the gospel with others and help us to grow in our gospel understanding. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless Forest Park. Have a wonderful resurrected day and God bless.